Nice to see you today. Take your Bible, turn with me to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. If you can't find it, it's by Jonah. If you can't find Jonah, it's by Micah. That'll help, won't it? That'll narrow it down. This is um, a holiday weekend, 4th of July. We have uh, read a passage from Romans chapter 13, which is one of the main passages that deals with how we are responsible to government as well as to God. Uh, we, uh, we think of the, the, the goodness of this land and the greatness of this land and the privilege that is really ours. Uh, it's not really an accident of birth, but it's as God has placed us in this place. Um, we, are, we are all immigrants to some degree or another. We, we have all somewhere in the past, my, my uh, family uh, is, uh, we think, Scottish, mostly Scottish, and some Irish, um, which, which explains why I have a hard time paying for lunch. But, but uh, uh, my wife is, uh, uh, we used to think Swiss, now we think German, but it's right on the Swiss-German border, and what we think it is is it was, uh, it was territory that switched hands in different wars and so on, so, so we're not exactly sure, but we, 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 we sort of know the region where she, where she or her family is from. Understand that it's a great privilege to live in this land. It's a great responsibility to live in this land with great, great opportunities. Before us in verse 8 uh, is, a, is a verse, and that's a primarily our text today. Uh, let me read verse 8, Micah 6, 8. God, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does God require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to work humbly with your God. Uh, this verse has had a greater impact in the history of America than probably any other single verse. It is the most quoted verse on, on public buildings in Washington, D.C. and, and other, uh, other courthouses around the, around the country. Um, it, is, it has had a, a great impact in um, in many, uh, many circles, in, and in fact, in 1917, when American troops were preparing to sail across the seas in World War I, the New York Bible Society asked former President Theodore Roosevelt to inscribe a message in the pocket New Testaments that all of the soldiers were given as they went into service. And he began his inscription by citing what he called the Micah Mandate. Now, I don't know that he's the first person to ever use that phrasing. That's the source of the title for the sermon today. Uh, but, uh, but he was perhaps the one that popularized it in this, in this instance. And he said, do justice, this is his inscription, do justice and therefore fight valiantly against those that stand for the reign of Moloch and Beelzebub on this earth. Love mercy, treat your enemies well, succor the afflicted, treat every woman as if she were your sister, care for the little children and be tender with the old and the helpless. 
walk humbly. You will do so if you study the life and teachings of the Savior, walking in his steps. And so we understand that this verse has had a tremendous impact in American history. And it's had a tremendous impact in, in what we are as a culture. What is amazing today is the shift in our culture. We are astounded by how quickly things can be lost. We, we, we have a, a, a school system that, uh, you, you, that, that cannot give an aspirin to a child and yet will counsel children in matters of, of abortion and, and gender identity. Uh, we, we have, uh, we have an, uh, a Princeton ethicist who sits on the highest councils in the government who, who teaches uh, that, that not only abortion is preferred, but that a parent ought to have the child to take the life of a child even up to three years old. And we wonder, where is the, where is the cry for, for righteousness? Where is the cry for justice? Where is the cry for that which is of God? And so we can feel the, the, the shift of the ground under our feet as, as our nation morally shifts away from the things of God. Can you not feel that, that, that shift in that tension that happens uh, almost, almost every day? As we come to Micah chapter 6, it actually, verse 8, actually sits in a context. And so I want to take a little bit of time and, and think through this context with us uh, this morning and to think through um, not only what God was doing in, in Israel's life to, to give a verse like verse 8, but also to help us understand how do, how do we live today? How do we function today in a world where uh, there is so much moral uncertainty that swirls all around us? And so I want, to, uh, I want to, first of all, open up and look in Micah chapter 6, and I want us to understand this passage begins with God's court. God is calling together the, the, the court to examine what has happened in Israel's life. And, and so we read in verse 1, in fact, let me, let me read through the, the passage and, and set the context for us as we work towards verse 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 1. Now, hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint. And you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, 
with the, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want us to think here as we open up this passage of God's court. The, the idea of a prophet talking about God holding court is not an unusual one. You see it in Isaiah chapter 1 and Jeremiah chapter 2 and, and in many other places throughout the Old Testament where God actually um, is, the, is the one who calls the court together and actually as he does in this instance he calls upon the hills and the mountains to sit in judgment to actually be part of the of the court process certainly god in his uh, as he reigns on high has the ability to to create this picturesque scenario for us understanding that that uh, that that God is, is serious about what Israel has been doing. And so in verse 1, we have the witness. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. In other words, if you're going to, if you're going to do what you're doing, Israel, before me, I want you to explain it to the people the hills and the mountains. I want you to explain it to the witnesses who, who will be fair, who will be just. And so he gives, secondly, he gives a charge in verse 2. The Lord, here's the Lord's complaint. Now we would call this in today's world, we call this an indictment. We've heard a lot about um, indictments in the last few weeks in our, in our nation's politics. Well, here's, here's the indictment. You are, um, uh, in, verse, in verse 2, For the Lord has a complaint against his people. He will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Testify against me. And so here we have the, the, the charge. Israel was not living for the Lord. If you read the earlier chapters of Micah, you will find that, that Micah is written right at the time period when the northern kingdom of Israel was being taken into captivity. And, and, and Micah uh, mentions that, that their, their kingdom is going to be laid low. But the southern kingdom, that's where Micah is, is investing his energy and time in the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was not living for the Lord. The southern kingdom was, in, was involved in all types of, of unrighteousness and, 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 and following after other gods. And so the Lord calls to Israel, to the, to the southern kingdom, and says, if you don't want to have happen what is, is happening to the north, then you need to do certain things. You, there, are, there are things that I require of you. Israel was not living for the Lord. 
And then we have the testimony. Here's the evidence. Here's the evidence that is brought before them. And here's what God says I have done for you in verses 3, 4, and 5. He says, I brought you, verse 4, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from the house of bondage. So here is the really the reoccurring argument that God uses throughout the Old Testament. Here is the, here's the, the prime example of why you need to follow me is because if it wasn't for me, God says, you would still be in bondage. If it wasn't for me, you would still be in Egypt. You would still be slaves. I brought you out of Egypt. I set you free. You are therefore my people. You are to follow me. I brought you out of bondage. But not only that, he says, I gave you leadership. You have here in, 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 in verse, the end of verse 4, I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Here is a prophet, a priest, and if you will, a praiser. She, her, her praise, Miriam's song is is one of those great highlights in the, in, in, uh, uh, the, uh, the law. And, and through, through Moses comes the law, comes this, this wonderful instruction from God of how to serve the Lord day by day. Not only that, but in verse 5, um, all my people remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. Now, we're not going to take time and go back into numbers and look at, look at what are, the, the, especially the three chapters that are sometimes called the Balaam Chronicles, the story of Balaam and, 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 and Balak. But understand, God turned what was intended to be a curse into a blessing. You have one of the, the great blessings and prophecies of the Messiah coming out of that, that incident. And God is saying, here, here you could have been destroyed, but instead I took that which was intended for wickedness and for evil, and I gave you a great blessing. I gave you the, the promise of the, of the coming Messiah. God turned misery into a blessing. And then we have here in, at the end of verse 5 from, a, from Acacia Grove or Shittim, and many of your translations might say, to Gilgal. The, the Shittim is the, is the last place Israel stopped before they crossed the Jordan River into Palestine. Gilgal is the first place that they stopped. So if you, after crossing, it's the first place that they stopped. If you go back and read in Joshua chapter 3, 4, and 5 is where you'll find those, those names. And, and here is the, the, the Lord reminding them that I gave you the land of blessing. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I gave you leadership. I gave you the law. I gave you the land of promise. I gave you Palestine. And he says it interestingly at the end of verse 5, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. 
that you may know the goodness of God, the justice of God, what God is doing. All of these things God has done, and he presents it in the courtroom, the hills and the mountains, which we're we're a little hard to find in Iowa, but you'll have to use your imagination not only in Iowa but in the passage. He draws the indictment, and he says, here is the evidence, and so you are, you are, um, you are sinning against the God who has provided for your salvation. So now we have in verse 6, we have the response. God's conditions here are, are really, number one, we have the response of what man offers to God. What does man offer to God? Well, verses 6 and 7 is Israel replying. It's not necessarily real clear, but if you follow the pronouns in the text, it's really verses 6 and 7 is Israel's defense. Here's, here's in this courtroom, I'm going I'm to give a defense. And in verse 6, Israel says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Well, offerings were part of the law. Okay, so yes. Should, 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 in other words, should I do the outward things of the law that, that you've requested? And then, and then he goes on and he talks about with calves a year old. That would be, that's, that's a prime sacrifice. You're past the risk of the, of the, of the, of the calf dying. He's made it to a year. He's going he's gonna to be healthy. It's a, that's, a, that's a prime sacrifice, a calf a year old. Verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? So now he's going into really like a hyperbole. He say, now we, we know that when Solomon dedicated the temple, there were tens of thousands of sacrifices made. But, but the defense here that Israel is making is, it's really, should I go beyond what you expect? Should I do more than what is required? And then he says, 10,000 rivers of oil. I mean, he's, this is really hyperbole. He's saying, should, should, I, should I do much more than what you require? In verse 6, should I do what's required? Now, verse, verse 7, should I do more than you require? Then there's an interesting thing at the end of verse 7 where Israel suggests, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What an odd thing to say. What an odd thing to suggest. Israel at this point, it actually is a demonstration that Israel had, had brought in the wickedness of the, of the religions that were around them. They had absorbed them enough where they were, the, 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 Israel is actually suggesting that maybe God would somehow like child sacrifice, something that is abhorrent to God. 
would be abhorrent in, in the pagan religions that was abhorrent to them. Do I do what I'm supposed to do? Do I do more than I'm supposed to do? Do I even show you my sincerity by giving you something that's very precious to me? And so what Israel was doing is, is, is really saying, God, there isn't any way to satisfy you. There isn't anything that we can do to make you happy. Why would we follow you? Why would we love you? Why would we serve you? And so in the midst of all of this, what we find is what God requires in verse 8. What Israel was focused on were the outward manifestations, the outward things, the outward signs. Do you know that serving God in Israel and following the law was filled with outward things? I mean, you don't have to go, we just, this spring we were in Israel, and everything, everything is outward, uh, is a symbol. Everything, everything has some meaning. So whether it's the dress, or whether it's what day of the week it is, or whether it is, it is what you are eating, or, 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 or how, you, how you function. We were, we were um, just in, in February in Israel, um, it was Friday afternoon, late afternoon, Sabbath. The Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday night. So any observant Jew on, on, on the Sabbath day has to be where they're supposed to be before sundown because on, on the Sabbath you could do no work. And so we are... We are Going down, it's like a four or five lane highway, one way, into Jerusalem, and there is a traffic accident, and everything is backed way up. We're in a big tour bus, and the sun is setting, and the traffic, the pressure of the traffic begins to rise as observant Jews in their cars are heading towards sundown when they shouldn't be in a car driving anywhere. They're supposed to be where they're supposed to be. And so you have, you actually have, and it's because it's, Judaism is a visual, much of it is visual, you could see observant Jews getting out of their cars on this freeway that's log-jammed, trying to direct traffic to get the traffic moving somehow so that they are not driving their car when sundown hits on the Sabbath. I mean, they were in the middle of 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 a religious crisis. Now, what what... What God is saying in in Micah chapter 6 is that following me is not just about doing things that are observable. It's not just about doing things that other people can see. 
here's part of the problem with where we are today in our physical, spiritual lives is, now I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't be in church on Sunday. Thank you for coming to church on a Sunday, okay? I think that's where, that's where God's people should be is in church on a Sunday, but coming to church on a Sunday doesn't make you more like God. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't, it doesn't somehow increase what God thinks of you because you are here on a Sunday morning. And, and we somehow think that it is the it is the overt things that we do. It is the outward things that we do. It is the it is the the, 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 the seeable religion that somehow makes us uh, more righteous and somehow God is more pleased with us. I think that's what, that's what Israel is, is suggesting. Let's go overboard. Let's do what God wants. In fact, let's do more than God wants. And in fact, let's bring in what other people do wrong and even do that for the Lord. And maybe that'll make God happy with us. And the Lord gives here what the Lord requires. Now, there's an interesting phrase. This phrase, what does the Lord require? I'm, I'm not going to turn today to the, to the passage. It's found in, in um, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses, verse 12 and 13. So if, you wanna, if you're taking notes, if you jot that down, what does the Lord require? And then there's a list of items that are, that are listed there. Where That's a very interesting list to look at. I'm not going to take time this morning to look at that. But what God wants is not your outward and your, your, your visible conformity to what you think he wants. That's not what God's looking for. What God wants is your heart. What God wants is your will. What God wants is your mind. And so he gives us three statements of what he's looking for. The first is, do justly, verse 8. What does the Lord require but to do justly? I call this transparent honesty, a transparent honesty. The word just or justly is often connected with righteousness, uh, there, is, uh, there is no distinction here between the inward and the outward, between the heart and the hand, the soul and the body. It is, it is more than just um, doing what is right, but it is having the right heart when we do it. Do it justly. Do it because you love me. Do it because it's, it's, it's what I want you to do. Do justly. Have a transparent honesty with others, with God. Secondly, he says, 
You are to love mercy. You are to love mercy. The word here, mercy, is one of the key words of the Old Testament. Uh, If you have a New American Standard today, it translates it probably as loving kindness. Um, it 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 is the word for God's covenant faithfulness. It's the idea that that God keeps his promises. How do, we, how do we know that salvation is real? Because God has kept his promises in the past. He will keep his promises today and tomorrow. Love, especially God's faithfulness. I call this a tender humanity, a faithfulness or a loyalty. This has to do with God keeping his word. Therefore, we need to keep our word to him. We need to love the loving kindness, the, 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 the faithfulness, the faithful word of our Lord. Do justly. Love mercy. Love faithfulness. And then thirdly, walk humbly walk humbly. And of course, walking has to do with the expression of life, with the actions of life. What is what I call true humility is that we are to understand that God is sovereign. Walk humbly means that we are, we are living constantly understanding that everything we are, everything we can be, everything we, we own and possess is sourced in God alone. Have a true humility. You know, our, our country, not just our country, but we live in our country, so we all understand this, expresses a national pride. And, and there's a, there is a pride that we have. But, but, the, but the pride is a problem when we fail to recognize that what we are is indeed a gift from God. And there needs to be this, this humility, not only corporately, nationally, which we have, we have long since lost. There, there ought to be this corporate humility within the church. But there also needs to be this humility within our own lives. Are we... Are we, at the end of the day, trying to do things outwardly to please God? Or at the end of the day, are we trying to please God with our heart, with our will, with our mind? At the end of the day, God doesn't want what is outward. He wants what is inward. You remember back when Saul was preparing for a battle and, and um, Samuel didn't show up. This is 1 Samuel 15. Samuel didn't show up. And he waited and Samuel didn't show up. He waited more and the battle was getting ready to get started and, and, and Samuel didn't show up. So what does Saul do? Saul enters into the priesthood and offers a sacrifice And, of course, as soon as he does that, who comes over the hill? Samuel comes over the hill. 
And what is the rebuke that God gives to Saul for entering into the priesthood? Doing something that he thought God wanted. This is going to make God happy for me by doing this because God wants this. But he did it the wrong way. He did it in disobedience. And what, what Samuel tells Saul is obedience is better than sacrifice. Serving the Lord with your heart, doing what is right before God is more important than things that you think I want, things that are visible, things that are outward. It's more important for you to follow me with your heart. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 23. Christ gives a commentary, I think, on this passage. Matthew chapter 23. Christ is engaging the Pharisees. Who? What were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were all about the outward. They're all about the visible. They're all about doing exactly what God wants, and if you do it, the, if, you, if you jot every T, jot every I, cross every T, if you get that right, if you do that, then God's going to be happy. God will be happy with me. And what they, what they missed was the heart. There has to be a heart behind this. And so it, in this he talks about, you know, in, in verse 17, fools and blind. Verse 19, fools and blind. Uh, and, and in verse 23 is what I want to read. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Now, what is that? In other words, you, you take the smallest things of, the, of, of your, your life. And you are you you follow to the letter the law in the smallest areas. Then he says in verse 23, and have neglected the weightier matters, the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now what does that sound like? Justice, mercy, and faith. Sounds a lot like Micah 6 8, does it not? And in fact, I think faith here is probably Christ giving a commentary on what walk in humility is really like. Walking in humility is really a life of faith. It's a life of, 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 of trusting not in yourself, but trusting in God himself. Serving the Lord can only come through a transformed heart. And I would ask you today, this, this, isn't, this isn't about today, this isn't about Israel, though the passage Micah 6 is written to Israel. It's not about our culture outside of the doors of this church which I, I, I think we all understand is slipping into the abyss. <laughs> you know, we feel, our, we feel the culture slipping. 
That's not what this is about. This is about your heart and my heart today. What is it that God requires of us? And I, and I feel so many times that the answer of what we think God is looking for is outward. It's busyness. It's, it's the, the, the outward things. It's showing up on, at, at, at church. That's, you know, I, if I don't show up at church, something's wrong. Now, I'm not saying don't show up at church. Okay, that's, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But why are you here? What's the reason that you do what you do? Are, are, you, are you doing justly? Are you doing righteousness? Are you, are you a, is your heart living righteous truth? Do you, do you love mercy? Do you love the faithfulness of the Lord? Do you, do you relish in his goodness and promise keeping? And are you walking humbly? Is there true humility? Are you living a life of faith? You know, Christianity, and I've grown up in the church from, from a, a baby. I've been in the church. And it's, it's very easy to think that doing things is somehow a substitute for what we are spiritually. Israel had fallen into that trap. God is pleased if we will just do these things. That pleases God. And what Micah says, what Jesus says in, in, in uh, Matthew 23, what James talks about is that it's not about the outward life. It is about our heart. It's about our walking with the Lord humbly, doing justice, having mercy, loving mercy. And so I want to challenge you today. I, why, why do you do what you do? Why, why, are you, why are you here today? Why are you, why do you call yourself a Christian? What, what is it that, that, that drives you and motivates you? And I would say if it has to do with the things, the busyness, the activity, the, the labor, then you're, you need to think through again, where is your heart? Because what Micah tells us is the, the, essence, the essence of following the Lord, the essence of what does the Lord require, is where is your heart? Where is your love? Where is your faith? It needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. He who alone can provide the answers to life. Never let the, the, the things of ministry, important though they may be, be a substitute for where our heart needs to be with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the blessings of ministry, the blessings of serving you, the blessings of being able to walk in fellowship with the God who has created the universe. 
Lord, we ask that you would examine our hearts. Help us to examine our own hearts today to see why we do what we do. Help us, Lord, to serve you with all of our heart and mind and soul. Help us to keep all of these things in a right perspective, and we'll give you the honor and glory for what you accomplish. And we ask, Lord, for this nation. We ask, Father, that you might um, draw this nation back to yourself. The solution to this nation is not better courts. It's not uh, a better media. It's not a better politician. The answer is a spiritual answer where this, this country needs to have a spiritual brokenness before you and a willingness to receive you today. Lord, we ask for this church. We ask that you would help this church in its, uh, in its uh, not only search for a pastor, but also, Father, for, uh, for understanding how does this church serve you today? Not through the activity and the busyness, but through their heart, their desire to serve you. And we ask, Lord, in each of our lives today, as we especially come before the Lord's table, that you would search our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for what you'll accomplish and what you have done through Jesus Christ, and in whose name we pray, amen.